Good morning, friends and family. God bless you, each and every one. We are today, if you're studying with me, we are in chapter 11 of Revelation called A Time for Testimony. Hope everybody's having a good day today. It's um, here in Illinois, it's quite cloudy, windy, and cold right now. So I'm rather glad to be indoors instead of outdoors. Yesterday was cold. On Sunday it was cold. Looking forward to the spring and getting out and being able to plant flowers and uh, just looking more like spring than winter. So I'm going to start in chapter 10 and I, I think rather than do 10 and 11 together I think I will break them up because they're just a slight bit long so Revelation 10 uh, chapter 10 through chapter 14 describes the events that will occur at the middle of the seven year tribulation this actually explains John's repeated mention of the three and a half your time segment in one form or another. At the beginning of this period, the Antichrist begins to make his conquest by promising to protect the Jews and assist in their rebuilding of the temple in Jerusalem. But then after three and a half years, he's going to break his agreement, invade the temple, and begin to persecute the Jewish people. However depressing uh, the events of this middle segment of the tribulation may be, God is not without his witness to the world. In Revelation 10 and 11, there are three important testimonies, one from a mighty angel, uh, one from two special witnesses, and from the elders in heaven. So the first testimony of the mighty angel in chapter 10, verses 1 through 11, more than 60 references to angels are made in Revelation. They are God's army sent to accomplish God's purposes on the earth. Believers today seldom think about these servants, but one day in heaven we will learn all about you know, what they did, how, what they did for us as we lived here in the earth and how they were dispatched to the earth to help, to aid, to heal, um, whatever the Lord sent them to, to be a help to us, to be servants to us, the believer. The description of the angel in verses 1 through 4, this angel amazes us for he has some of the characteristics that belong especially to the Lord Jesus Christ. John had seen and heard a, quote, strong angel. And the same Greek word is here translated mighty angel. All angels excel in strength, but apparently some have greater power and greater authority than others do. We first saw the rainbow around the throne of God. Now it sits like a crown on the head of this messenger. 
So the rainbow was God's sign to mankind that he would never again destroy the world with a flood, even in wrath. God does remember his mercy. See Habakkuk 3 verse 2. Whoever this angel is has the authority of God's throne given to him. God is often identified with clouds in the Bible. God led Israel by a glorious cloud, and dark clouds covered Sinai when the law was given. When God appeared to Moses, it was a cloud, it was in a cloud of fire. He maketh the clouds his chariot, the Bible says in Psalms 104. A cloud received Jesus when he ascended to heaven. And when he returns, it will be with clouds, Revelation 1-7. The fact that the angel's face is, quote, as the sun, corresponds to the description of Jesus Christ in Revelation chapter 1, verse 16. His feet correspond to the Lord's description in Revelation 1, verse 15. His voice like a lion suggests Revelations 5.15. This person or this angel, this being, could well be our Lord Jesus Christ, appearing to John as a kingly angel. Jesus often appeared in the Old Testament as the angel of the Lord. This was a temporary manifestation for a special purpose. It was not a a permanent incarnation. It was just a, a temporary. Two other characteristics would suggest identifying the angel as Jesus, and that would be the book in his hand and the awesome posture that he assumed there. The little book contains the rest of the prophetic message that John will deliver. And since our Lord was the only one worthy to to take the scroll and break the seals, it it might be well concluded that he is the only one worthy to give the servant the rest of the message. The angel's posture is that of a conqueror taking possession of his territory. He is claiming the whole world, as we see in Joshua 1, 1 through 3. The, of course, only the victorious Savior could make such a claim. The Antichrist will soon complete his conquest and force the whole world to submit to his control. But before that happens, the Savior will claim the world for himself. The inheritance that his father promised him as in Psalms 2, verses 6 through 9. Satan roars like a lion to frighten his prey, as it says in 1 Peter 5 and 8, but the lion of the tribe of Judah roars to announce his victory. See Psalms 95. We're not told why John was forbidden to write what the seven thunders uttered. This is the only sealed thing in an otherwise unsealed book. Unsealed book, but this God wanted to keep sealed. So as we see Revelations 22, 
verse 10, we see that that the book is un- the book of Revelation is an unsealed book. God wants us to read it. God wants us to understand it. God wants us to know His Word. God's voice is often compared to thunder. It is useless for us to speculate when God chooses to veil his truth. The the declaration of the angel in verses 5 through 11, the declaration fills us with awe, not only because of what the angel declares, but also because of the way that he declares it. It is a, a solemn scene in chapter 10 with his his hand lifted to heaven as though he were under oath but if this angel is our lord jesus why would he take an oath in order to affirm the certainty of the words spoken possibly god put himself under oath when he made his covenant with abraham in hebrews chapter 6 And when he declared his son to be high priest in Hebrews chapter 7. He also took an oath when he promised David that Christ would come from his family in Acts 2. The emphasis, excuse me, the emphasis in Revelation 10 verse 6 is on God the creator. Various judgments have already been felt by the heavens and the earth and the sea and more judgments are yet to come. The word that is translated time actually means delay. God has been delaying his judgments so that lost sinners will have time to repent. See 2 Peter 3 verses 1 through 9. He will accelerate his judgments and accomplish his purposes. Recall the martyred saints in heaven were concerned about God's seeming delay in avenging their death. Saying, how long, O Lord, how long? And that's been the cry of God's suffering people from age to age. God's seeming delay in fulfilling his promises has given the scoffers an opportunity to deny God's word and question even, question his sincerity as we look at 2 Peter chapter 3. God's word is true and his timing is perfect. This means comfort to the saints of God, but judgment to sinners. In the Bible, a mystery is a sacred secret, a truth hidden to those outside, but revealed to God's people by his word. The mystery of God has to do with the age-old problem of evil in the world. Why is there both moral and natural evil in the world? Or why doesn't God do something about it? We hear these questions. We many times don't have the answers. But Christian Christians know that God did do something about it. At Calvary, when Jesus was made sin and experienced divine wrath um, for a sinful world, we also know that God is permitting evil to increase until the world is ripe for judgment. We see that in 2 Thessalonians 2. Since God has already paid the price for sin, he is free to delay his judgment. 
and he cannot be accused of injustice or unconcern. The signal for this mystery's completion is the sounding of the seventh trumpet in chapter 11, which I I intend on doing chapter 11 right after this. Doing them separately, though, as I said. The last half of the tribulation begins with the angels. When the angels start to pour out the bowls in which is filled up the completed, filled up or completed the wrath of God, Revelations 15.1. The directions that the angel gave to John in verse 10 should remind us of our responsibility to assimilate the word of God and make it a part of our inner man. It was not enough for John to see the book or even know its contents and purpose. He had to receive it into his inner being. God's word is compared to food, bread, milk, meat, honey, Uh, The prophets Jeremiah and Ezekiel knew what it was to eat, quote, eat the word before they could share it with others. The word must always become flesh, John 1, 14, before it can be given to those who need it. So woe unto that preacher or teacher who merely echoes God's word and does not eat and digest it himself making it a living part of his very being. God is not going to thrust his word into our mouths and force us to receive it. He hands it to us and we must take it. Neither can we he change the effects the word will have in our lives. There will be both sorrow, there will be joy, bitterness, and sweetness. God's word contains sweet promises of assurances but it also contains bitter warnings of prophecies of judgment the Christian bears witness on both life and death 2 Corinthians 2 the faithful minister will declare all of God's counsel see Acts 20 verse 27 he will not dilute the message of God simply to please his listeners. See 2 Timothy 4, verses 1 through 5. The angel commissioned John to prophesy again. His work was not yet completed. He must declare God's prophetic truth concerning many peoples and nations and tongues and kings. So the word nations usually refers to Gentile nations. John will have much to say about the nations of the world as we continue in Revelation, studying Revelation. Um, As he, he presents the rest of this prophecy, there's a lot to it. So next we're going to go to chapter 11, the testimony and the ministry of the two witnesses, which is going to, two witnesses, excuse me, which is going to be, very interesting as the whole Bible is very interesting and saying that I would just say God bless you and um, 
If you're still studying with me today or in the future even, I'll meet you in the next chapter. God bless you.